the war is won. The question is, what will be the story of your battle? So Jesus won the war. We know the end from the beginning. That's amazing. But I don't want to sit satisfied with the fact I know the war is won because I know my battle is part of the war and I want the story of my battle to matter in the story of the winning of the war. Hey friends, and welcome to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. My name is Brad Pierron. I'll be the host for today's episode, and I'm joined with my two friends and brothers in Christ, Mr. Dan Dimite oh, yeah. and Mr. Aaron Richards. We had to reach farther than we normally have to reach there because we're in a different environment than we're normally in because we're at the Damascus Men's Retreat with some amazing men here in our studio audience. Give it up. Yes. That's what yes. I'm talking about. You heard those masculine sounds in the background. Those are men sitting in the seats uh, here in our auditorium at Damascus because... Um, Thanks for spe uh, specifying that there are men at the men's retreat. Oh, yes. Sorry. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. yes. Just in case you were confused. At our men's retreat, no one signs up and we just come and show up on the stage. No, that's not true. And there's um, no women. No, there's no women on the men's retreat. That's right. But um, more about the episode today. So um, for those of you who have joined us before on the podcast, those of you in the studio audience today that have listened to the podcast, Beyond Damascus is the show where encounter meets mission. And the idea is that all of us in our lives are called to encounter the Lord, that the Lord has amazing things for us. And he wants to break into our lives in a way that's personal, in a way that allows us to know, in fact, who he is. And when we have an encounter with the Lord, the only response that we can have to an encounter that great is mission. That whenever we experience something that's too good to be true, we have to share that with all of those in our lives. And so today we're going to tackle this idea of being men that mobilize men onto mission. So that's going to be awesome. A little bit about us being on mission ourselves and how we can mobilize those around us to be on mission. You want to share anything else on that, Dan, Aaron? You know, I think it is a men's retreat, and so we should talk about the the key mark of masculinity that Brad has today going on for Come himself, on, and that is him. the mustache. The mustache. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know yes. if you guys know this. Thanks. Thank you. That's but good. But <laughs> there, there was Sam Halligan was like, hey, Dan, the men's retreat's coming up, and Brad and I are going to grow out a mustache for the men's retreat. Are you in? I said, Sam, No. Yeah, I, I, for a few reasons. Number one, because I think mustaches are creepy. Number two, I cannot grow a mustache. Yeah, that's fair. How many how many years going is this is this trend? Um, this is the uh, well, however many years we've been having it. Okay, this is the fourth mustache. So this is the fourth mustache. <laughs> that's right. And so uh, I don't wear mustaches most of the time, precisely because all of the reasons you were alluding to, Dan. And um, I feel I what, feel okay what does about Nina it. think? My wife Nina thinks that it should be temporary. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's the Just crowd participation. Who who approves of Brad's stash? Yeah, my, hand, yes, my hands up. Come on. Wow, that's a good seventy five percent. I think it was actually like thirty three percent. Yeah, that makes well, me feel better yeah, about that. Was six um, people. So uh, again, uh, not a lot there about encounter or mission, but a lot about mustaches. And we're talking about um, being men that are on mission. And what's cool is like I, I constantly tell um, those who are on the men's retreat that this is like one of my favorite weekends of the year. And it, I, it's my favorite weekend of the year, I think because I find myself um, 
just in the midst of men who want to do something amazing with their lives. Mm-hmm. And um, as men, we were made to do things like that. We were made to move and we were made to do and we were made to build. And I wonder, um, whenever you guys think about being men on mission, uh, like why is it important for us um, in a context like this, where we're at a men's retreat, where we're going to have encounters with the Lord, we're going to have opportunities for adoration, we're going to have opportunities for the sacraments, we're going to have opportunities for prayer ministry, we're going to have opportunities to share with our small groups things that are happening in our lives, we're going to have these opportunities of encounter. Why is it important to have a session where we're talking about mission? Why is it important for us as men to embrace the mission of the church and live it out? I mean, Brad, we are the we are the ones who are responsible for carrying out the mission of Christ, right? We tend to talk about those those words from scripture that we are, we are Christ's hands and feet sort of, I don't know, it's taken on almost like a, a good little, uh, social, social justice, feel good message, but it's really cute on a quilted <laughs> pillow as well. The reality is the feet like, of Jesus. regardless of whether you like it or not, this is the assignment that's on your life. And, uh, I, I w- we were praying before the show and the word that kept coming to my mind was that, um, we're, we're speaking to a community of men who believe that they're discerning enlistment when they're actually already they're already in the trenches. And the, 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 the commissionings of Jesus have put us in a place where, where we don't have the luxury of choosing whether we'll say yes, right? Whether or not we say yes doesn't change the, the reality that, that we're in the fight. Yeah. So one of the important parts, right, is that like we're men on mission because that's the reality, right? And so it's just actually coming into alignment with what's real yeah, around us that like sure. there's mission at hand. There's something in front of us that we're already partaking in and which side of it are we going to stand on? What's funny, I mean, our missionaries here at Damascus, they're on mission all the time, like in a all crazy way. So like with middle schoolers and high schoolers, so Wednesday through Friday and then Friday through Sunday, they're running retreats for middle schoolers and high schoolers and that it, but then when the men's retreat comes, you almost just see this like, like of all the missionaries who they like, it's, it is good. It's good when there's something different when we're together as men and our retreat last year, there was a guy who shared, um, he, he was sharing something to the effect of like, I, I I've been involved in the church my entire life. He was like a 30, he was in his thirties and he's like, I've never felt like I belong but I felt like I belonged here. And he was getting at the fact that like the, uh, at this retreat, we've got like cigars and whiskey. We're, we're going to eat a pig tonight, right? Yeah, like, right. It's going to get good. And like, we're out, <laughs> we're throwing axes, we're climbing a rock wall, we're doing paintball. And there's something really neat about this, that it's the whole person, the whole masculine spirit is awakened when we're not just sitting in a room just for talks, right? We weren't created just to sit in room just for talks. Like we were created to be out and do something with our hands. We were created to be to get like, and so there's something about just the activities on this retreat that mobilize the masculine spirit to do something because we're doing something and we're not called to do something by ourselves. We're called to do something together. And when we do something together, we're like, Oh, this is what I was craved for. It's like, like I feel like the men's retreat. It feels a lot like, um, like uh, the army barracks, right? Like, and I was never in the army, but like, <laughs> I if I, I imagine if I was, come like, on, Dan, go like, for it. When like you, you're out in the field and you're doing things on mission as a, 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 like in the army, but when you come back, you, you just you're 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 together, yeah, there's right? Real and there's just like you can let your guard down. There's a vulnerability that like, hey, we've been battling together right now we're sharing fellowship together. We're laughing. We're enjoying each other's company, even though we know that we are getting our butts. Like we were out in the battlefield. Right. And now we're together. And we know that the battlefield's out there again. And there's something about when guys come together, like 
ah, oh, this is good. And we know it's coming. Yeah. Well, that's, I think what I'm hearing from both of you, right. Is that we're on mission because first of all, it aligns us with reality. And, it, and if I was like looking at the, the studio audience today, from your guys' perspective, whenever you look at the world today, raise your hand. If you see something in the world that could use being changed. Oh yeah. All of us. Oh, yeah. That's a hundred percent for those of you watching in and listening. Like, Brad's and the mustache. reason that, that the, the reason that that matters is because like, yeah, my mustache needs changed. Okay. <laughs> touche. Um, outside of my mustache. Well, that's not in the world. That's, it doesn't matter. So like oh, okay. there are things in yeah. the world that need changed and we recognize that. And what's amazing is how often we can get so caught up in our own worlds that we lose the fact that reality actually needs us. And so it aligns us with reality. Like what you're talking about, Aaron. And then Dan, your point is that it aligns us with our identity. Our identity isn't to be just one man soldiers that are going on these independent missions. It's actually made like we are made, we are designed to be a part of a body that's moving forward together. And I think that's one of the reasons I like this weekend is we're, we're coming together to do something together. You know, we've talked on the show a lot in the past about how each of us has really uh, been experienced a great life giving component of men's groups in our lives, right. Of, of time for intentional community. And it's, it's cool to be in an event like this because every time I'm on this retreat, I see guys who come in the door and it's like almost immediately uh, that, that, that need is awakened and, and satisfied just by being in the room, right? That you can, you can tell when somebody's just hungry for, for brotherhood, hungry for friendship to, to enter into that space. So yeah, you're not made to live in a bubble. The Christian, the Christian faith was not meant to be lived alone. We are a body. It's difficult to be a body part that that can function. Yeah, an independent <laughs> member isn't exactly thumb right. over there. Like, hey, go it's, do your it's thing. It's awkward when that happens. You say a, a thumb? <laughs> yeah, just a thumb. Yeah, uh, okay. Yeah. How, how many of you guys have been in a men's group before? Uh, so most of us have been in a men's no. group. How many of you have been in bad men's groups before? Has, have you? Yeah. There's and then mm. versus a good men's group. Like so, there's a distinction. Yeah. Like sometimes I'm in a men's group where I'm together with them and my soul's awakened when with them. Right. Yeah. There's other times where I'm like. Man, this is kind of a waste of time. And I, I think the the distinction is, well, what are they coming from and where are they going to? Right. Yeah, yeah. Like it I'm awakened when the guys are sharing and it's like, whoa, like you've you've been fighting, right? You've been you've been laying your life down and like and you're here and now you're kind of exposing your own battle scars, right? Um it, it, and then when I know like wow, like you're here exposing your battle scars because you're going somewhere else. And that it, it'll wake it like everyone's edified by that versus one that's no good when you're just kind of like coming together and complaining about everything right like you're 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 complaining but you're not actually fighting you're 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 recognizing the problems but you're not doing anything about it and it's like you just in those moments and, I, and i've had those moments before we're like i just get so frustrated i'm like guys what the hell's wrong with us like well like you're complete like Ha, like show me what you've done the, since the last time we met right and it's like because if we're not out there like getting the scars and, and, and taking the hits then we're there's no reason to come together yeah well also i think we have to do well i think just as men in a particular way to move from complaint to conviction they're like yeah if i have something in the world that i see that's worth complaining about it's worth getting convicted about and it's worth making a change for, right? Like I, I don't want to look at the world and ask someone else to do the thing I'm seeing that needs done. I want to ask for the grace and the strength to step in and to be the change that I want to see, right? Like how often do we look at our parishes and we think to ourselves, man, our parish could really do that better. But how many times have we fought to actually 
try to be the change that our parish needs. And maybe we have done that and we've been rejected in that, but that's a different side of the story than just sitting there and looking at things. I, I think this was interesting in my college experience is um, I was, I was studying communications, economics, political science. It was like a pre-law um, track. And in my pre-law track, we wrote so many papers but all of the papers were always oriented towards refuting someone else's thoughts, not coming up with your own. And I noticed this, this happens a lot with us as men. We can walk into a room and we'll tell you everything that's wrong with the room, but you're not intelligent by telling me what's wrong with something. You become intelligent when you find the solution to that problem that you're seeing. Does that make sense? It's, it's, not, it's not like difficult to look at the world and say, that's a problem. It's difficult to look at the world and say, there's a problem. What could possibly be a solution for that? And how could someone as um, mildly talented as I be a part of that solution? You know? Well, and I think that's a huge part of mobilizing men because it's not just a matter of saying like, oh, okay, like let's all talk about the political problems in our, our culture right now. Let's actually, what is the solution to the problems? Let's not talk about the problems in the church. What's the solution? And and really wrestle together and go into a war room uh, uh, with a whiteboard and say, how are we going to change our parish? I, uh, I know your parish is dead and dying, so how are we going to change it? What are we going to do? We're not going to complain. That's not an option. What are we going to do to actually awaken the dead people in the pews or in our offices? If, you're, if your office is dead and, and, and dying, what are you going to do to bring it to life? Or your marriage. Or your marriages, your family, yeah. Right? And th this is a countercultural message, right? Because the, the, the presentation of masculinity that we experience in, in culture and in television, it's, it's the complete opposite of this, right? It's men, it's men who are completely devoid of influence because they've embraced an attitude that, that ignores their fundamental identity. So we have to we have to understand that that we are we are made uh, priest prophet king right that we we we're called to carry and to exert and to influence as 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 ones who who have dominion over creation and 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 to hold that to hold that assignment so delicately because it's it's something that requires immense humility but also immense courage yeah well I also think there's a there's a hesitancy. I think all of us recognize that there are solutions we desire to bring. I think there's a hesitancy in stepping out to try to bring that solution because we fear failing and we fear of what the person across from us is going to think someone that's going to reject us. It's funny. I was talking to Dan before we were recording and um, all of our missionaries here at Damascus, they partake in mission support raising. And that's ultimately just the opportunity for us to bring other people onto mission with us through their financial resource that some are called to go into mission by giving their life to it. And some are called to give of their financial resource so they can go on mission. And um, it's so clear in the church's history that that's how missionaries are called to live. And so when our missionaries get really convicted about that, when they go into a, a mission support raising meeting, when they go in and sit across from a prospective mission partner, when they look at the partner, it, it, the prospective partner rather, it, it's not about how that person responds. I've been asked by the Lord to be a missionary. Part of the missionary call is for me to make the ask. How they respond is, is not what's actually mine to own. What's mine to own is the ask. What, what's mine to own is the step of faith. What's mine to own is the courage to do something. What's mine to own is not sitting back complaining and telling everyone else what's wrong, but saying, I want to be a part of what's right. That's exactly what the prophet's call was. Like the prophet just yeah. would be given an order by God, like, Okay, Jonah, go to the king and tell the king that all of Nineveh has to repent. And it, like that's a that's, yeah, so that's an unfortunate it, one. Yeah, you know, <laughs> a intimidating. Um, 
or or Moses, go to Pharaoh and, and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And it it's not their response isn't the prophet is not in charge of their response. The prophet is in charge of delivering the message that the Lord gives him and following through on the action that the Lord tells them to. And then when the action or when the response isn't what you want, the Lord gives them another another direction, right? So Moses goes, says, I, I, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh doesn't let the people go. So then Moses goes back to the Lord. Lord gives him more marching instructions. And so if we're afraid of that, and this is what we are sharing backstage, Brad, we were talking about the the church needs an entrepreneurial spirit, right? That we need this. A, the, an entrepreneur says, what's the need? I identify the need and I'm coming up with a solution. And then uh, an entrepreneur knows in order to find a solution, I'm going to fail a lot in order to find the right solution. It's easy to see the need. The solution's extremely hard to discover. And it, the solution comes through trial and error, trial and error. And so if I'm afraid of failure, which so many of us in evangelization are afraid of failure, you're never going to find the solution. The solution, what Edison, we've got these beautiful light bulbs. Edison said, I didn't discover the light bulb. Uh, I mean, I didn't fail a hundred times. I discovered the light bulb with a hundred steps, right? It took him a hundred failed attempts to get to the light bulb, but it was a hundred like trial, error, trial, error. And that's what we had to do in evangelization. And one of the reasons we're growing, I think, so fast at Damascus is we're trying a bunch of stuff. And some of the stuff works and some of the stuff doesn't work. And the stuff that's working, we're like, let's get behind it. Let's throw some fuel on that fire. And the stuff that doesn't work, we're like, well, let's stick it out a little bit. Let's persevere in the hardship. And then sooner or later, we're like, nope, that actually isn't, that is, God's not blessing that. That's not a solution, right? And, but we'll have a good bloopers reel someday. We will have, oh man, <laughs> I'll, I'll have a we'll, big We'll one. be able to write a book <laughs> on the things not to do, right? But also in doing that, we'll discover the things that you are to do. But the, I think the big reason we don't have more books on how to live your faith in the workplace mm. is because no men are trying to live their faith in the workplace. So write books. The way to find the solution is by trying something and failing, trying something and failing. But what are we afraid to do? We're afraid to try something and fail, right? The answer comes when we fail enough times to find. Well, but in order, in order to be like in that though, and I wonder what you think about this, Aaron, like we talk a lot at Damascus about being owners instead of renters. There's something about that, that spirit that like, I'm not just a renter in the church. I'm not just renting a space in a pew on a Sunday. I'm an owner of the mission of the church that it's supposed to be lived through people like me, men like me. Right. And so like, there's something about that mentality that I think we've some somewhat lost in the church in the Western world is that we're renters and not owners. I think that is, again, it comes back to that story or that idea of our kingly anointing that like that the king has ownership over the kingdom. He's not an elected official, right? He doesn't retire at the end of his tenure. Uh, and, and that ownership, it elicits a response of, of accountability and of authority that it, that it carries because, because I know that you're not just in this for your own benefit. I know that you're in this, you know, for the benefit of the kingdom, for the benefit of the people. I, another thought too is, you know, all, all of these, all of these phrases are inspiring and exciting. And one of the, one of the words that I go back to consistently, and I hope I do for the rest of my life is that God doesn't ask us to do anything that's not impossible. Right, we used we used Moses uh, as an example that that God God went and he and he tried something. He went out on a limb and he he made a big risk, and then all of a sudden it didn't work. So he came back again. God didn't just send him with a new word to say; he sent him with an impartation of power 
with a, with a work of God that actually stood behind his human words in such a way that it articulated that, that God, God stands behind the words of his children, right? God's going to back us up. So it's funny, again, Dan, you, you, you kind of brought up, why are these things working at Damascus? I, it's not just because this is the only place who's brave enough to, to try hard things. It's like mustaches. It's, it's because we are trying mustaches. <laughs> it's because when we, it, when, when a Christian steps up and tries something hard, uh, the, the Lord's got like this, this backlog of grace that he just wants to give out to men who are willing to take a risk. And if we say yes, and we, and we allow ourselves to be used, it's like, not only are we getting a, a standard impartation of grace, but we're, we're getting the, the pressure of everyone else who's failed to say yes in the past. Yeah. Well, cause the Lord is going to achieve his purposes in the world. And the question has to be with us. Are, are we willing to be participants in that? Right. That, that God's desire is for everyone in our workplace, everyone in our family, everyone on our street to be saved. Like his, his desire is that he would be in relationship with them, that they would be in relationship with him and that they'd be with him forever in paradise. Right? Like that's, that's God's desire for the people in our lives. And he's wanting to work that into their lives and who's going to say yes so that he can work that into their lives. Right? Because Jesus's plan for salvation was always to ascend and descend the Holy spirit. He says that it's better that I go. Like, like if I was an apostle, I'd be like, are you sure? Are you sure? It's better that you go. It's better that you it's better that I'm in, but it doesn't make any sense, right? Like I, I noticed this when, well, we're recording the podcast right now, when I'm preaching, when I'm leading a small group, whatever yeah. it is, it's like, Jesus would do this way better without me, way better, but he wants to do it with me and he doesn't have a second option. It, it's what he's staked his claim on is his people. He's like you, the plan for saving Chicory Court in Lewis Center, Ohio, Brad, is you. What did you? That's say? my. That's my. That's, that's the street that I live on, and it, oh, okay, okay, it was the right. easiest thing for me to come. Uh, what, what, what's that street? Chicory Court. Chicory. Chicory. It's yeah, a. It's a go. specific flower that grows. <laughs> I forget so, where I was at. No, I'm just no, kidding. No, Chicory Court. For no, chicory. you're the. You're, you're the, the, the person. It's yeah, the, you are chosen for yeah. Chicory. Yes, I was. I was chosen for that flower <laughs> and for its right ordered bloom. Well, I think if we go back to like kind of like what is a good men's group, right? Like, because I, I think we we see in the church there's a need for men's groups or men's fellowship, men like brotherhood. And as we build that, how do we build something that's good? And I think it's could you imagine an army that sat around and talked about concepts to defeat the enemy without an actual strategy? And I think sometimes what we do is we over-process. We're always in the process of, well, what does God want? What does God want? The reason Moses was able to get the job done was because he... Because of Aaron. He, well, it's because yeah. of Aaron, yeah. So that's how Brad like and the, I get anything done around here. That's how we get anything that's done, actually. Done, really actually. Wow, that's actually a very true statement. Yeah. Um, Aaron, but, Aaron keeps our arms up. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's because he took action. And I think sometimes like a good men's group, we have to hold each other to accountable that we're taking action. So don't get together and just talk about the word of God. Like, what does God want you to do? And what are you going to do before we meet again, right? And, and then come back together and talk about how did it go? Or, and then keep each other accountable to the action that you said you're going to do. And then move away. You said a word earlier, conviction, Brad. And Aaron, you said courage, right? We need conviction and courage, and we can't coddle each other. So often, our, 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 our friendships, I don't know why, 
Be, like, you would never imagine a bunch of guys on a football team coddling each other on the sideline. Like, oh, you're doing really good, Brad. Keep it up. Like, no, like, you challenge yourself. Like, guys, intensity. can't wake up. Like, we're being lazy out there, right? Like, get your act together. We we challenge each other. We push each other. But in the faith, sometimes we just coddle each other. It's like our our our, our men's fellowship is like. Good the, try, buddy. It, it's, yeah, it's like, no, you're, you're doing it. You're doing enough. Like, what? No. Brad, you can do it's like better. I actually haven't prayed in a month, yeah, man. Yeah, no, like, I don't know if I'm together. doing great. Get your yeah. act together. Because it's nice. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know why we just think we have to be so gentle with each other. It's a good question. Well, I think that, well, if, if we go back, I, I, I want to come back to can, um, to what you're saying in concept versus strategy. I think that's really good. But with what you're saying there, I think there's a, a similar place in our hearts that both complaint and conviction come from. It's a recognition that something's off, Right. And like, and my, my desire to complain is this desire to hide from that, to hide from responsibility in that conviction is to take responsibility for that. I think I have that same tendency when I'm calling on a brother is there's, there's this like, well, maybe we can just like hide from our mutual dissatisfaction with how we're living right now versus us leaning in and pushing in. So why are we unsatisfied with how we're living right now? Right. And like, and, and if we can, if we can get more into that lane, it's coming from the same part of our heart. We're both recognizing, Hey, you're not all you can be yet. And neither am I. And welcome to the Christian life. Now, how can we take a step and how can we hold each other accountable to that step? I think there's a, a there's a similar place in our heart that, that, um, that that concept maybe is coming from, but in one sense, we kind of like coddle each other to what you're saying. But in another sense, we could take that exact same reality that we're recognizing. And instead of coddling each other, challenge each other, push each other, and then hold each other accountable. I think Catholicism is, um, especially in its modern context, a very intellectual faith, right? And so because of that, these... Wait, wait, wait. Why do you say that? Why do I say that? Um, I mean, just look at the history of the last 500 years. I mean, we, we, there's a, a massive intellectual tradition in the church, right? Which is a great thing. Like faith and reason are, they go hand in hand. So this is, this isn't a, ter- this isn't a bad thing, but it's something we have to recognize that it's possible for, yeah, it's, so it's possible for us to come together and, and theorize and have an intellectual conversation about mobilizing men on mission without ever actually mobilizing men for mission, yeah, right? Yeah. It's possible for us to get together and discuss the theology of, of, of our faith, right? Uh, the call to mission or the call to encounter Jesus without ever actually doing the stuff. And I think that's why it can remain in concept because we're it is so richly intellectual and the, the word of God is, is so alive and active and, and it, it can be meditated on and discussed and wrestled with. But the key is it, it, it's got to move from the mind and from an intellectual activity at some point to be mobilized into action. Right. And um, and I think that's what happens. You see it. I mean, you see that so often with um, uh, like with, with ministries where or, or even like. I, I, I dare to say a priest where they have this incredible intellectual life, but then there's no, they're not mobilizing people to accomplish the very things that they're, the, that they know should be done. And so the people are there in the pews and they're not being put into action. Yeah. I think it, it's also, um, I think it's important for us as the church to recognize what's happening in the world in order to realize how the church should respond to the world. 
We shouldn't just go back and say over the last 500 years, the way the church has responded to the world is to have an appropriate apologetic that argues really effectively because that they're like in the last 500 years, there was a need for that. It was called the Protestant Reformation. And after that was the Council of Trent that taught us that we needed an intellectual tradition to go back to, that we needed to know the reasons we believe the things we believe, because there's things that are being stated that aren't quite in alignment with what we believe. So we need to found ourselves there and stay strong with it. But now we look 500 years later, and when I look at the world today, I see a world that's seeking experience and seeking adventure. It's seeking experience and it's seeking adventure. And if our response to someone looking for experience and adventure is, let me tell you this argument, it, it just does, it doesn't match the person where they're at. It's like, you need an experience and an adventure. And lo and behold, the church has both of those things. And the, the world today that has rejected truth is not going to buy into an argument of truth, right? So I can't appeal to truth when the world doesn't even believe in truth. And, and like, I can't appeal to reason when the world is truly irrational, right? When, when we're living in a culture that says, hey, boys can call themselves girls. Like we've thrown reason, like human reason out the door. And so a rational evangelization- Congratulations, is, Beyond is, Damascus just got canceled. Canceled on YouTube. <laughs> Please like, subscribe and leave your comments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it's true because, and, and so what is, going back to what you said, Aaron, the Lord backed his word up with power, right? That Moses said, let my people free or this plague is coming. And the power, God wants uh, this experience. People want to hear that God is real by seeing that God is real. So we've got to have sign. We need to pray for signs and wonders to come because I really think, I mean, you look at uh, Mexico, why, like how did Catholicism and Christianity spread throughout Mexico? Well, Our Lady of Guadalupe appeared to the Mexican people and people were getting healed over and over and over again. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is the real faith, right? Uh, how did the Israelites come back to the living God when they were worshiping the false god of Baal? Well, fire came down from heaven through the words and the prayers of Elijah. People he fell to their faces. Systematically and murdered all the Baal prophets. We, we need a supernatural move of God. <laughs> and it, it, the argument, the, 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 the appeal to truth and reason it has to be part of our tradition, but it can't be the only weapon in our fight. We we need to be on our knees crying out, God, do something supernatural so people fall on their faces again and return to you. But where's where's the, like where's the practical then? How do we how do we get? We don't from have this to have practicals of... because we're just going to theorize. And <laughs> That's what I'm action. saying. We're, we're, this is what we're we digging do. our own grave here, right? Uh, I, I was reflecting too. You know, made in the image and likeness of God, we're called to to be stewards and and co-creators, right? And when, when you think about how God moves, certainly there are times in scripture where you could say that Jesus is teaching, right? But I would argue that his teaching is never merely theorizing. He's, he's always oriented toward action. You don't see the father speak at any time where he's wasting a word, right? Every word that he speaks is oriented toward action. It's almost like this, this uh, theorizing, thinking thing is, is something that, that only can exist as a step to get us out of time into eternity, right? To, to, make, to make a leap from, um, it's like the precursor that has to get to action. And when it's, when it's exercised outside of action, it's, it's utterly useless. Yeah, well, I would, I would also like, oh, what is that, the adage that you get so often? It's that like, um, hard times produce good men. Hmm. Good men produce good times. Good times produce weak men. Weak men produce hard times. I'm really glad you got that right. I think I got that right. And um, <laughs> good, make a t-shirt. But the, but the reason that I the reason that I go there is because it's like 
we're in a time right now where I think we can take a lot of things for granted and forget that like the, to, to draw it back, that the experience and the adventure that we're theorizing about is actually to be lived in a very particular way. That's not through all these means of entertainment that are given to us as soon as we request them, right? That there's actually something about the, the faith. There's something about an encounter with Jesus. That's not just immediately gratifying. It, it draws me into something. There's something about the adventure that I live in mission with Jesus that draws me into something. It's not, it's not just like a, a temporary satisfaction. And we live in a world where that temporary satisfaction for both of those things can come at an instant at all times. But I don't want my life to be a bunch of instants. I want my life to be a movement towards something. And if we stay in concept and don't move to strategy, then we're always going to be living in instances. Like where it's just... Um, yeah, that was a good time. And that was something good. And it's, it's not that those are bad in themselves, but I want to build towards something. And I think that's written in us as men. And it, it's something we need to take pride in, in the church today. And so when we we're getting practical about it, I think I, I know that like this podcast has like a tilt to it, obviously, but like to get practical, we need to encounter Jesus yep. regularly. And from that, we need to say yes to the things he's asking us to do in our lives. Like, like to, to bring glad tidings to the poor, to bring recovery of sight to the blind, right? Like, this is what I preached about last night. It's like Jesus had a mission. And when Jesus ascends, he says that he's sending the Holy Spirit that we could live the mission he had. And so like the practical of it is like, are we encountering Jesus daily in prayer? Are we attending the sacraments like they matter? When we pray the mass, are we actually listening to what we're saying? When we pray the creed that I believe in God, the father almighty creator of heaven and earth, do I even think? twice about what that means. Because when I'm in those moments, there's opportunity for encounter, which is experience. And then there's opportunity for mission, which is adventure. Right. And so like the question we have to ask as men is, are, are we willing to rid ourselves of a satisfaction with temporal instances that give us some satisfaction for the risk of a movement in our lives that would lead to ultimate satisfaction. And it's going to take sacrifice and it's going to take changing of patterns. But I think that's the only way to get to where we're called to go. That's good, Brad. So you identified that you think the, the initial uh, practical foundation is, is what we talk about every time, right? Encounter, prayer, sacraments. Well, Moses is the great example of that. Right, because Good. he goes on mission, and and then he goes back into encounter for like, okay, this happened, Lord. Now what? This happened, Lord. Now what? And it's just it's mission encounter, yep. mission encounter, or encounter was actually the encounter. Mission, the burning encounter, bush mission. was a big yeah, start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you yeah. Know, when when you have that, hey, burning bush. Um, hey, come on. But then he didn't do it alone as well, and and God didn't call him alone. That you, as you pointed out, Aaron, that he had Aaron, and that 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 God sent. Because when we when we encounter him that first time and we hear the call to mission, yeah. the first thing we do is question, well, I'm not good enough, right? Like, how am I going to accomplish that? And God said, I've got the solution for you. It's the brother next to you. And yeah. so mobilizing men on mission means that I realize I'm not called to do this by myself, but I need to look at the brother next to me and say, listen, yep. I've got a weakness. Like Moses like, yeah. I can't, I've got a stutter. And he's like, I've got a solution for that stutter. And his name is Aaron. And so you have to depend on another man, which honestly is a hard thing for us yeah, it's a as tough men thing. to do. So encounter and then community. And then the third step, I think, is, is putting it into action, right? And 
And I, I would suggest maybe that the, the strategy phase can happen both in the context of prayer and in the context of community. And then, and then the risk phase has to happen in the context of both as well, in the context of community and in the context of just getting the job done. So when we look at the, the various different, um, I don't know, uh, assignments or the various different battlefields where, where, where we're called to actually put this into action, what does that look like? And how can a man today take that risk? Like I'm thinking, I'm thinking that the three big ones for me are, are marriage and family, right? The second one would be in the workplace. And the third one would be in the, you know, my influence in the culture as a whole. How am I called practically to, to, to pray, to strategize and to step into risk? Well, I, I think it's, um, it's interesting that you, you bring up those categories, Aaron, because I think um, you and I were on a conference recently and we were having mm-hmm. a conversation about the opportunity for mission. And we were talking about it in the context of like, did we miss an opportunity to there to be as missional as we could have been? And then we started into this conversation of like, well, what does it actually mean to be on mission? And then you can put that into all contexts, right? Like, what does it mean to be on mission to my family? What's it mean to be on mission in my workplace? What's it mean to be on mission to the greater society, to my neighborhood, to my locality, to my parish. Like I, and we came to something that was really, um, I think humble yeah. and simple, but right. And, and it's, it's the examination of conscience that happens after a day with my family that happens after a moment at my workplace where I ask the Lord in a very honest way, Lord, did I move that situation closer to you? Yep. And that allows us to be in mission every moment. It's not like, Hey, next month I'm going to be on mission. Isn't that funny? The ever evasive tomorrow, I'm going to start mission tomorrow, right? I'm going to start investing in my workplace tomorrow. I'm going to start loving my wife that way tomorrow. And tomorrow never comes because it's ever evasive. It's always just moving forward and kicking the can down the road. But when I look at every moment as an opportunity for mission, then what I can do at the end of those moments is I can look back and say, was that a part of the movement I was talking about earlier? Not just random instances, but God, was I moving every situation in my life towards you? When I was with my kids before they went to sleep tonight, did I love them in the way that you desired me to love them? Was I present to them in the way you desired me to be present to them? When I was in that conversation with my wife, was I in that conversation to win or to love? Was I in that conversation that we could move forward together or that I could prove to her that I was more needed in this partnership than her? Like those are the moments where it's like my mission is in this moment. Now, again, I'm not saying that that doesn't lead me to these bigger realities where I'm at the supermarket and like, I feel like the Lord is, is asking me to go and, and, and just invest in the person behind the counter. Like that can totally happen. But the only way I'm ever going to have a lens for that is if I'm living those missions in the moment. And the only way that I think you can have a real metric to like, am I living mission there is, did I move that situation closer to the Lord? And, and when you really sit and think about it, you know, if that's true or not, you know, if it was true, like, like when I sit down at the end of my day and I do my examine, it is so clear to me when I was being faithful to the Lord. And when I wasn't, I just have to be willing. I think that's all brilliant, Brad. And then I think there's one further step yeah, do that it. we never do in ministry or in our spiritual lives it's actually create metrics around that, right? That, so you do a lot more in your, in, in your business life than sit around and think about, did we perform well? Did we have good customer service? Did we, sure. did, did, did we budget? Cause well, that became, right? it becomes ethereal it just too. Becomes ethereal. Yep. Yeah. And so because our spiritual life is so spiritual, yeah, sure. we sometimes don't get 
practical with metrics. Mm, And because ministry is so intangible sometimes and so pastoral, we don't get practical with metrics. And it's this entrepreneurial like mindset that I remember a few years back, we were building a a strategic plan for uh, Damascus. And I was spending all this time on a strategic plan. And then the Lord in prayer was like, Dan, why don't you put this kind of effort into a strategy for your family life? I was like, whoa, like, I, because I always think, oh, I want to be this kind of a dad or, oh, am I doing this well enough as a husband? <laughs> and then I was like, I am writing stuff down and, and coming up with annual goals and performance reviews and, and concepts to be the best we can be here as an organization. I need to write things down for my family. And so what is my strategic plan Beautiful. for my family? If that's one of my realms that I'm supposed to, like, do I have a strategic plan? And have I given that strategic plan to my brothers to say, hey, here are my goals. Can can you help hold us accountable? And then at the end of or the year, or critique it, right? Yeah, can you can, can you yeah. help me actually get to what it needs to be before yeah. you hold me accountable to it? And then another thing is just metrics, trial and error, right? Like yeah. what are we what are, in ministry? So if it's in the world, or if it's in our parish, or if it's in our workplace, try things out with your brothers, and then come back and discuss them. What's working? What's not working? We have we have multiple programs that we're piloting right now, right? We're trying to to come up with a way. To, to win youth ministry over in a whole city. Like, how do you do citywide ministry? We've been working on it for two years, and we're trying different things. We're trying uh, different things with worship. We're trying different things with um, youth ministry in the parish life, right? And, uh, and when things don't work, we get back together, and we edit the original plan to make the original plan better. And I think we, we need to get into a habit in ministry. Like, if we want to evangelize in the workplace, try something— then come together, what worked, what didn't work, edit that plan, try something else. But we have to be unoffendable there, right? Because there's something about like, Dan, you've put your heart into that youth ministry reality, right? And so when you and I meet and and I'm pushing in saying, I don't think this is working, it's not, it's, we're on the same team. I'm trying to get you into a track where we're actually producing, but right? But then I start to cry. Yeah, right, no, like, no, no. But no, I do think- I, I Everything think, I do is good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, but I do think that there's um, a part of us that even though like, I think the only reason that we're able to laugh at that is we know there's an internal reality that sometimes does do that. I mean, we were just in a meeting the other day and you were talking about a, a program that I've been piloting here um, on campuses. And you mentioned something that I noticed in my heart, there was, an, uh, there was like an offendability that came because it was like, um, I would rather this be my idea than be successful. Right. And it's like, that's a, that is a bad way of being. And, and I do think there's something in us, maybe particularly as men that we struggle allowing people to help us. We struggle allowing people to give us a different perspective that actually sharpens it. Does that make sense? You can speak to that some, but I just think like we speak to that a lot and to say what you're saying without also saying, Hey, we need to be unoffendable when Dan comes and offers a perspective to Brad because I'm on your team and you're on mine. Well, and the tree that doesn't bear fruit gets cut down and thrown in the fire. Mm-hmm. And so the reason we have to be so concerned about not whose idea it is or right. whether or not I feel good about this, the reason we have to be so concerned about is this actually producing fruit mm-hmm. is because stuff that doesn't bear fruit gets cut down. Mm-hmm. And so what, like our men's groups at our parish, is it bearing, is it bearing fruit? fruit? Mm-hmm. If you have a men's ministry and it's not growing, right? It is the church is meant to grow. The, the Lord's commission was not go and be disciples. He didn't tell his disciples, go and be disciples, go and be a men's group. 
He said, go and make disciples of all nations, right? That, that by the very nature of our call to be disciples is to make disciples. And if things don't bear fruit, they get cut down. And you see this over the life. I mean, this is a very practical thing in the world. If, if a business doesn't bear fruit, guess what happens? They go out of business. And if the Catholic Church doesn't bear fruit, it's going to slowly go out of business. Eek. And that's what's happening right now. Thank God we have a victory already in Christ Jesus. But if we don't bear fruit, that's why we die. That's why. And like sometimes I'm like, why, man, why, why does it seem the Holy Spirit so present? in Protestant movements, it's because they're bearing fruit. And so God's like, thank you for bearing fruit. I'm going to bless you with more of my presence, right? When we bear fruit and we're not so worried about our own pride, God's going to bless us with more. How does that happen in the context of a normal Catholic's experience and parish? Because, you know, if, if, my limit, if my limit is the only tool I have available is invite my neighbor to mass, right? That, that may not be a winning strategy. Well, I mean... But, but what I, what I always have at my disposal is I'm going to welcome my neighbor into my life. Right. And part of my life is going to mass, but, but the call on my life isn't just to be a person that brings people with me to a service. It's, it's to bring people with me into a way of life. And I, I think that that's where uh, even, even our Western Christianity model has set us up for unsuccess, where I become an inviter to events instead of an inviter to a lifestyle. And, and, and if we, if we just keep inviting people to events, they're going to become consumeristic, not, not owners and, and, and not, and not disciple making disciples, but disciples who are used to consuming. And, and man, and that's, that's me just as much as anyone, you know, it's how often I'll be satisfied in a day with the fact that I learned a bunch about this aspect of theology that I'm now able to give an answer to, which makes me look wise and makes people respect me. But I actually didn't move the needle forward that day. And um, again, there's a place to learn and there's a place to, I'm, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is it's always a matter of both. I think the mass isn't the mission field either. So it's the mass is the place where I come to be fed. It's that it's, it's almost like if I'm, if I'm, um, it's that moment when like I'm I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. And then when when the exercise is done, you're just like, Phew, right? And I think um if if to mobilize people, you first have to get them on mission sometimes. The actually like human beings love to accomplish things. We're 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 meant to do, like, and especially men, we love we love to build something. We love to go and do something, right? Like a lot of times it's guys aren't going for walks together, right? They're, they're building something together. They're fishing together. They're, they're, they're doing some kind of activity together. And that's where brotherhood's built. And I think if we start inviting men on mission, like, hey, I'm trying to do, and you see this all the time. How do you awaken guys? Like, hey, can you help serve in this way? Can you help serve in this way? Get them to do something. Yeah. And then all of a sudden as they're doing and they're, they're, they're out there on the field and they're then they start getting beat up and they start getting torn down. That's where they're like, well, I need more of God, right? Like, I, and then the mass or prayer, like they almost, they almost go into that from the place of, yeah. of battle. That's beautiful. I think that's one of the ways, one of the reasons why Damascus works the way it does. You know, I've had, I've had a number of conversations on this weekend's men's retreat where guys will say, hey, being here, it feeds me when I see the missionaries living a life fully alive. Right, that that actually the the witness that we have in in inviting people to participate with us in mission, inviting people to have a conversation with someone who's living a life on mission, right? Uh, it, it's 
it's a it's a winning solution because this is this was the plan. Yeah. But also, well, part of the plan too, right? Like, and Dan, you said it so well to to make disciples of all nations. But when Jesus adds to that, he says, beginning in Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, he starts with the most proximal location. He starts with Judea, like around you, like the the thing that you're at every day, then to Samaria, then to the ends of the earth, like, like love your family and learn how to love them well. And once you get to a place where you're like, you know what? Like there's like, and like you said, you can have milestones to that. Like I want to get to a place where I'm actually listening to my wife when she's speaking to me. And I don't mean just like attending. I mean, listening, like invested in that because when I do that, well, now I'm going to invest in that brother down the street and I'm going to invite him into something with me because now I'll know how to listen to him differently. Right. And then I can start going out. But we, as men, sometimes we try to bite off more than we could chew by starting out and coming in. And that's never going to work. You have to start proximal and then build. And what's, what's amazing to me too, is like in that process, like uh, I've been uh, theorizing this for a long time. I think it'll probably eventually end up in a book, but I think um, like the steps to mission are first invitation and then conversation, and then imitation. That we start with invitation. I'm going to invite this person into my life. On a, I'm going to invite this person on a walk with me to pick up trash in my neighborhood. You know, I'm going to invite this person over for coffee. I'm going to invite them over for dinner with their spouse or whatever. Like it starts with an invitation. And then from there, I start conversing with them. It becomes conversation where I need to bring the Lord into the conversation. And then it moves to imitation where I want to imitate the Lord. Like Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Like when I become an imitator of Christ, I welcome that person that's in conversation with me to imitate Christ in his attractive and productive of what is I am, you know? So again, start local, then go. And again, but, but give yourself milestones. You're never going to be a perfect husband. So it's not like become a perfect husband, then go to your neighbor. It's maybe make one step locally and then move to Samaria and then take one step in Samaria and then move to the ends of the earth. That's beautiful. Uh, and I would even think like, what are the, like ask the Lord, what is, what is the mission you're calling me to? And, um, let's try different things, right? Like, uh, so if you're hungry to serve in your, your workplace, perhaps inviting them all to men's group, isn't the place to do it or to mass isn't maybe it's just let, Hey, let's work with ha- habitat for humanity, right? Like go serve the poor together. And that's, you're bringing them into mission and now you're building brotherhood and you can start sharing Christianity with them. And I think like thinking through, I I, I want to see like, I love, I love pancake breakfasts, but I don't like, what is the church? We're mobilizing men in our parishes for pancake breakfasts, for chili cook-offs, for, for, for like festivals. Like, I happen to know you like, hosted a number of pancake breakfasts. I, I have, <laughs> yeah, I have. But, but, but it like, has to be under something when we, look at our, when we look at our Catholic parishes, let's be honest. What are we mobilizing the men in our Catholic parishes for? It's for fundraisers most of the time. And it's for like, but we're like, let's mobilize men for for political action, right? The in in Ohio, we have a political bill that's coming up that can legalize abortion up to the point of, of birth of the baby, right? That that major things are happening. Let's start mobilizing men for things that really matter in our parish. And I think crazy things are going to happen because I guys are going to get behind that and they're going to come alive with that. It's it's really hard to say like, man, I encountered God at the pancake breakfast. Hmm. It changed my life, right? Like and I, I, sh- I shifted the nation it has to go and lives that. were saved because I flipped 16 pancakes. Yeah, no, it has to go beyond because the, that, well, cause that's a means. 
Those are always means to the end, right? They're like when we're gathering, no, I'm just, because I I totally agree with what you're saying. But I I also know that like, as you're saying that in living life next to you, what you're saying is like, yeah, let's gather, but then let's go do something. If the gathering is just Mm -hmm. for another gathering, it's futile. But what are we, like, seriously, we're mobilizing men in our parishes simply to volunteer for our parishes. Yeah, sure. The, the, the Great Commission was to go out to the world. Mm, that's good. Not sure. And to, and to sanctify the world. Mm. And when we start going out into the world, when the church doesn't become the place where we hang out together, the church becomes a place where we go out together, that's when you're going to attract more Agreed. people. Yeah, that's good. Because most people aren't like, all I want to do is hang out. Most people are like, I want to live a life that matters and, yeah. and that wakens something in you, which will then awaken something in the person next. I was reflecting the other day, guys, as we as we draw the show to a close here, what you know, what was it that was the first step toward toward my life stepping into mission? And as I thought back, it it was two invitations, right? It was two separate people who invited me to step into mission, one to start running retreats and one to start participating in a summer camp. Both invitations were not handled expertly. These guys weren't professional recruiters, right? I, I think oftentimes we have a bar set really high that if I don't get this thing exactly right, if I don't nail it, then then I don't know, the whole world's going to come to an end, right? People, people want to say yes. People want to respond because it resonates with our spirit. And, and the, the trouble is, you know, we've got too few people who are willing to take a risk and extend that invitation in, in, into, something, into something that maybe isn't fully baked. Well, and people will say no, and that's okay. That's all right. Right, because like- if <laughs> That wasn't take, on you if, in the first place. Yeah, if we parallel, like, parallel this with business, imagine if my like I was running a business and I was afraid to sell my product because I was afraid a customer would say no. Like, you yeah. will have customers who say no. You'll get more no's than you probably get yeses. Mm-hmm. But when you get yeses, your business grows. Yeah. And that's the thing. We have to get that, like a salesperson who's afraid to sell mm-hmm. is going to be fired. And as, as a Christian, I was recruited by Christ to sell the gospel to others, go and make mm-hmm. disciples. That is a tree that bears fruit. A salesperson that doesn't make sales gets cut off. Mm-hmm. The Christian that doesn't evangelize gets cut off. And we don't only get cut off, guys, we get cut off from the Holy Spirit. That's what we get cut off from. Which is if the divine life, the like Holy literally Spirit, the divine life. Put yourself out there more. Yeah. And when you put yourself out there, there then God provides the resource. Yeah, I, I'm having like a two two quick reflections for everyone in house today. And those listening, um, before we go into prayer to, to close the, this, uh, this episode, the first is this, we need to know the type of man that we are in my experience of men's ministry, which has been over the last nine years. There are men that want to start something and there are men that want to follow something. It's okay. If you're in one of those camps and you desire to be in the other, know which camp you're in and find someone that has the other tendency because that was wired into us so that we would need each other because someone who starts something can't start it and run it themselves. They need someone to follow and someone who follows can't follow nothing, right? We need each other. And, And if you're like me, you're probably just prideful enough if you could both lead and follow to think you were God. And so God has made us for brotherhood. So know which type of man you are and find other men that tend the other way and commit together, right? The second is this, the war is won. The question is, what will be the story of your battle? So Jesus won the war. We know the end from the beginning. That's amazing. 
but I don't want to sit satisfied with the fact I know the war is won because I know my battle is part of the war. And I want the story of my battle to matter in the story of the winning of the war. And so the question for those listening, for those in-house today is what will be the story of your battle? Like if we're going to be mobilized onto mission, let's go with a purpose. Wanting the story of our battle to be a story that matters in the story of the war being won. And so with that, um, Aaron, do you want to go ahead and uh, close us in prayer? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, you are our source, our strength, our foundation, our brother in arms, and you are the victor in battle. We pray, Jesus, that you would keep us so closely connected with you that we'd never go a day doubting your direction for us. Lord, I pray that any barrier that stands in the way in the hearts of the men here on retreat at Damascus and the hearts of every listener of this show, any barrier that stands in the way of connection with you, Jesus, where the, the, the times where, where we doubt your word, where we doubt your will, where we doubt your presence, that those barriers would be broken and lifted in Jesus' name. I pray that we'd be men on mission, men together and men on mission together with you, that we would be your hands and feet in the world, that we would be your presence in this world, that we'd influence, that we'd mobilize, and that we would disciple nations. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, this has been Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. If you've watched this episode, listened to this episode, and you've been edified by it, built up by it, encouraged by it, send it to a friend because that's a missional act in itself, isn't it? So like, subscribe, all the things that will allow this message to get out to more people. We are proud to bring this episode to you live from our men's retreat here at Damascus with our live studio audience one more time. And... Um, what a joy. What a joy to be called to this way of life. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on Beyond Damascus.